Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Focus Group Podcast. I'm Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark, and this week, I'm going to inject a little bit of hope into your feed. Now, we've seen poll after poll indicating that Donald Trump is currently on a path back to the White House. That should scare the heck out of you, scares the heck out of me. But with Trump's historically high unfavorable ratings, there's a subset of voters who voted for Trump in both 2016 and 2020 and do not want to vote for him again. Now, I want to walk you through what those voters do and do not think about Trump. Do they think that he's an incompetent chaos agent? Yes. Do they think he's going to be a dictator? That one's more complicated. My guest today is my best friend and the dark cloud in my life, Jonathan V. Last, editor of The Bulwark and my co-host on The Next Level and the secret podcast on Bulwark Plus. JBL, thanks for being here, buddy. I can't wait. Let's get her done. Oh, no. Uh, so listen. Uh, <laughs> what, what is that, Rick? You didn't I do know. that to Amy Walter. You didn't do that That's, to Jen Psaki. They don't stress me out like you stress me out when it comes to voters. You stress me out. So listen, before we get into the group that you watched, which I'm interested to get your thoughts on, I'm going to actually start by talking about a different group. Before we get to the sound of sort of these down on Trump Trump voters, we've only done one focus group since the Robert Herr report that questioned Biden's memory has come out. And we were already, we had this pre-scheduled group to do Black voters who voted for Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and aren't that psyched about voting for Biden again. And so I just want to play for you their reactions upon learning the special counsel described Biden as an elderly man with a poor memory. Let's listen. The Department of Justice called our president an old man. That's concerning, to say the least. And that's who we have to vote for in November. That's the man with the launch codes to the nukes. The man with the poor memory. No, I need to put on somebody else. Need to put on somebody else, please. So it's either the one that forgets that he did it or the one that did it intentionally. And let's not pretend that the president of the United States like truly makes all the decisions. That's what the cabinet is there for. That's what the chief of staff is there for. Joe Biden signs his name. And at the end of the day, he is the guy that is the face of the country. But he is not the sole decision maker at all. And I do feel safer in a Biden America than a Trump America for that reason, because all of the people that surround Trump, his chief of staff, his cabinet members, all of these people are objectively bad people and documentedly so. Like maybe Biden's people are also bad, but like I haven't seen evidence. So however reluctantly, this entire group said that they would vote for Biden again when push came to shove. Though there was one woman who said she might reevaluate that after hearing about the report. But I think the last clip shows you how people felt their way through the age issue in real time, right? There's like, well, maybe, you know, it's not just him there. He's got this, these other people around him. So JBL, I threw this in here at the top because my producer tells me that a few days ago in your triad, it was about how Biden can diffuse the age issue by leaning into it, making jokes about it, well, like what was life before electricity, and making the wisdom a feature and not a bug. And so I wanted to give you a chance to maybe talk about your theory about how Biden can diffuse this age thing. So uh, I, I'm a big fan of this show. I listen to all of this show and this group, which was African-American voters who voted for Hillary and Biden, but are now eh, on Biden. They were the best, smartest and most plugged in and most reasonable group I've ever heard. And if we just had to turn over all decisions about 
who gets elected for the next 10 years to those 10 people, I would be fine with it. Here's what none of them said. Joe Biden might be a bad person, but King David was also bad. And so what we need is a King David type. Here is what they did not say. Robert Hur is an evil Republican from the deep state, and he was just there to set Biden up. Here's what they did not say. Joe Biden is actually a criminal mastermind, and he's not elderly, and it's all an act, and you stupid people in the mainstream media keep falling for it. No, they just acknowledged reality as it was. They were, I think, appropriately concerned about it. One of the women in the group, <laughs> I would say, sounds almost like a so well-informed she could be a bulwark reader. She said, yeah, no, it is concerning, especially the handling of classified documents. But also at the same time, you do have to wonder, you know, is this a little bit like the New York Times fixation on the Hillary Clinton emails in 2016, which again, ding, ding, ding. It's a very on point thing. They were great. And this is why I've been saying this now for as long as you've been doing the focus groups. When you get the Democratic voters they sound pretty normal. They say things like, yeah, no, look, I understand why, you know, a lot of my neighbors voted for Trump. Uh, you know, they're not bad people and everybody else nodded along. And, but, and then you go to the Republican groups. They're like, oh, the groomers and communists. It is a weird night and day difference in how the partisans of the two parties approach the parties themselves. And the Republican voters sound like they're in a cult. And the Democratic voters sound like they make decisions based on reasonably rational calculations and they are not wholly mortgaged to the cult of Joe Biden like some of us are. That was a great group. You should release the entirety of that group. <laughs> it was a good group. And look, I'll acknowledge that I think you are sort of correct that sometimes people are like, what is the biggest difference between Democrats and Republicans that you hear in the groups? And the way that Republicans have tremendous disdain for Democrats comes through in almost all groups. And sometimes they'll be like, and a few might be good people. Uh, but <laughs> like, <laughs> A couple sure of them might not good, be groomers. Some, I'm sure some are good people. Uh, but they generally believe that Democrats are there to destroy the country. Whereas Democrats, you know, sometimes it depends on the groups. Because if you get like a real progressive group from California that doesn't know that many Republicans, you will hear the like, these people have horns, they're crazy, they don't know anything. But like, if you just kind of do a regular screen on a Democratic group, they usually tend to know a lot of Republicans, and they don't feel like they are like horrible people. And they very much focus on Trump. Like they think Trump is the problem. They think Trump yeah. is the bad guy, yep. but not the people. Whereas the Republican voters will be like, well, Joe Biden has dementia, but like Democrats writ large are like socialist, communist people coming for us. I do think that is real. Okay. So let's get to this hopium group, right? So these are the two-time Trump voters who are not very likely or not at all likely to vote for Trump again, because these are the people who you have to convince to either vote for Joe Biden or at least not kind of come around on Trump. Like, they voted for Trump twice. They got there twice. But I think for Joe Biden to win this election, you need a fair number of these people to say, never again. So let's listen to how they talked about their votes for Trump in the past and why they're down on Trump now. Like most everybody else, I did not trust Hillary Clinton. She wasn't anywhere near the campaigner that her husband was. 
and questionable about uh, her background. So I thought Trump would be at least, you know, not her. In 2020, I just didn't think Biden was up to the job. And I still don't. And so I voted for Trump. 24, I don't think either of them are up to the job. Biden is only getting older. There's a reason they don't put him in front of cameras and microphones. I remember he won the presidency by campaigning from a basement, trying to stay away from people. And, you know, he's not getting any better. And Trump is not getting any better either. You know, you got plenty of accusations. And whatever's true, don't know. I like to wait to see what happens legally. But as far as my opinion of him keeps shrinking, I'm going to vote in the election, but I'm not sure I'm going to vote for president Mm -hmm. because I can't see who I would vote for. Because after Biden won, he said, you know, it's his way or the highway, pretty much like he was trying to go behind closed doors and get people to vote for him and change the votes. So, you know, it makes you think, what were really the votes? So thankfully, people spoke up. But, you know, I feel like for the next election, he's going to do the same thing. I would have been grateful if Biden had won, (laughs) even though I voted for Trump. Um, But I didn't want to be responsible for that. And I really, really regretted my decision because right after that, then we found out, well, January 6th did it for me. That was so anti-American, anti-patriotic. I cannot get over that. So when it came around to 2020, Trump hadn't really shown his jump the shark side. That's what I like to call it. It was like a couple of weeks after the election, and it was once um, January 6th came, certainly. And when he started to incite the people to resist the certification of the election, his demeanor changed from one that was, well, I wouldn't say completely presidential because he was an embarrassment in the international realm in terms of whenever he would represent the country overseas. But All of a sudden, he really jumped the shark, and he created what I would call almost a shared psychosis amongst the people. Trump has been charged with 91 criminal charges. And typically, when somebody's charged with that many criminal charges, there's a pretty good chance they're guilty of at least one of them, okay? So do you want a president who is indicted and perhaps found guilty. And, you know, in so many situations, we don't even hire people for jobs if they have a criminal history. In 16, I wanted to change, and I felt like that he was at least demonstrated that he was going to come in and make some positive changes. And then, of course, his persona and the way he presented himself to the world was a fucking joke. Sorry about the language. And then in 2020, it was, you know, the lesser of two evils, but I thought that he had made some positive moves, and I didn't think I wanted to see that broken apart, you know. And then now he's just off the chart. I think he makes, brings out the anger in the country. He really likes to divide us and conquer us and and try to figure out where are we going to be most angry about something. And then he escalates whatever that anger is. And life's too short. Life's too short indeed. So let me give you just a little bit of context here. So 
only one person in this group was willing to vote for Trump in a straight Trump versus Biden matchup. So four people chose Biden, so they would vote for him, and then four chose to abstain. They weren't going to vote for either of them, leave the top of the ticket blank. Now, when we included the third-party options, only one person chose Biden, but everyone else chose a third party or abstained, but no one was voting for Trump. Now, JBL, I think you and I both take exception to the idea that Trump hadn't jumped the shark until after the 2020 election. But what did you think about these people largely saying that January 6th and the indictments are the main things turning them off from Trump right now? Do you think it's evidence that this subset of people could grow as the cycle goes on? So that was not my takeaway, was that it was the indictments on January 6th. My takeaway was that the through line for every one of these people was that they believe Trump lost and it was about the lies about the election was what turned them off. And the indictments and January 6th follow on from that and cemented it. But all of them begin from the place of he lost. There wasn't any fraud. He couldn't prove any fraud. Sure, there's some fraud in every election, but he took his cases to court. And that that's where they all got off the train. And listening to this group, I found myself wondering, is that signal or cause? Were they coming off of Trump? And so that manifests itself as them saying, but he lost. Or does it begin with the belief that he lost? And that is then what made them break from Trumpism. I think either way, this is incredibly helpful for Biden and the the Democrats and their campaign. Because when you look at the polling on this, among self-identified Republicans, you get about 33% saying that Trump lost in 2020. Among Republican leaners, it's it's a, a tick better. It's like 35%. And this tracks basically with the not Trump vote in the Republican primary so far. His ceiling is only 65%, right? He only owns two-thirds of the party. But if that other 33%, 35% are people like this, where the idea of he's lying to you about the 2020 election is an off-ramp for them and a way to then get most of them to not vote for Trump and to get some of them to vote for Biden. I mean, I understand the polling and I believe the polling and absolutely Trump could win. I don't think he can win if he's going to lose 10% of the Republican vote or something like that. And there is a sense among election analysts that Biden is up against a ceiling in votes that he can expect to get from the suburbs, right? We talked about that this week on The Next Level, about the trade that America made in the course of this gigantic electoral transition, where a bunch of low propensity, blue collar voters who used to vote Democrat now vote Republican or Republicans gave up a bunch of professionals in the suburbs. Who always show up for special elections which is why Democrats keep winning them by these wide margins. Right. So in rural America in 2020, Trump won by what we like to joke about Saddam Hussein numbers, right? It was Trump 65, Biden 32. Trump was plus 32 in rural America. In suburban America, Biden was only plus 11. Now, we think that a 54-43 blowout for Biden in the suburbs, uh, and people look at that and say, well, how many more could he get? I don't know. Why couldn't Biden go to Saddam Hussein numbers in the suburbs? I actually think there's ground to be plowed there. And I think listening to these voters, again, there are people who begin from the baseline of Trump lost and he is lying to us about it. And it's not like Trump can pivot 
into the election. You know, it's not like when we get to August, Trump is going to say, oh, forget all that election stuff. Sure, Biden won. It's not like you can do on an issue like abortion, right? He can't pivot on this because this lie is foundational to his self-image. I just think there's a lot of tactical room to goad him into continuing to say things that are going to agitate that 33 to 35 percent of Republican voters and that some percentage of them, especially women who are pro-choice, who voted for Trump twice, of which there are one. We had one in this group. I think there's a pathway to break a lot of those people off. I don't know. What did you think? So what's interesting to me that you saw it as like the people who thought that the vote was true. To me, it all kind of rolls together. I'm always like, okay, this is a certain kind of person who was like, why is he lying about this? But they get very animated about January 6th because this kind of group talked about it, like how unpatriotic it was, how un-American it was. And so it struck something deep in them. And a lot of people talk about like, that's when they got off the train. But I do think that they're clearly linked together, right? And we know they're linked together. There's the lie and the lie drove people to attack the Capitol. And that's when they were just kind of like, and I'm out. And to your point, this group is going to be decisive and they are what we would call sort of the double haters or the double doubters or the pox on both their housers. To me, the essence was if you ask them, they are not tribally Republican. They are Trump voters. They voted for him twice. Uh But like they're not committed to the Republican Party. Like one of the women in there was like a Bernie Sanders, like I'm going to vote for Marianne Williamson. She was. Can we talk about that woman for a moment? Yeah, go ahead. We had a woman on the group and she self-identified as a pagan witch who is a self-proclaimed big time feminist, also voted for Donald Trump twice, also was incredibly pro-choice. And also was supporting Marianne Williamson this time around and kind of wishes that Bernie had been in the race. And this is the kind of person who I think people who unfairly take the view that I, JVL, am too hard on the voters would say, oh, you know, would you look down on her? And I don't because she's internally consistent, right? All of that stuff makes sense when you put it together. And where I go a little bit crazy is the people who say, you know, I want a president who's going to do something about health care and lower drug prices. And you're like, well, Joe Biden just did that. Why don't you like that? Right. This woman, it's a little weird and it's all unorthodox, but it does hang together and it makes some sense. The other thing is these people, when you look at the 2020 results, there's some really good exit polling looking at voters by voting frequency, meaning did they vote in 2016, 2018, neither or both? And the only group that Trump won was people who only had voted in 2016, right? Who, as you say, are Trump voters. And so Trump voters, not Republicans. Yes. 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 Exactly. Those are the non traditional Trump voters, right? Yeah. And I think it's a little easier to pry those people off than it is to pry the people who are really team elephant. That's right. And look, I think there's almost two different sets. So there's what we're talking about that you brought up, which is, college-educated suburban voters who have been politically realigning themselves into the Democratic Party. And I do not think Joe Biden has hit his ceiling on that. Yeah, I think he's got like 10 more points. I see the groups all the time of people who like, and there were people in this group who did it too. It's like, why did you vote for him a second time, even though they clearly didn't really like him after his first term? And it was like, well, we were in the middle of a pandemic and I didn't think it was right to change course. Like they have these rationales that have sort of nothing to do. The woman who said that as she was voting for him and left the booth, that she kind of hoped that Biden was going to win. 
that's the first step to realignment, right? That is. I do have to tell you, one of the things that people are always skeptical of is that there are undecided voters. And the number of people who say in the groups, I was in line and I didn't know who I was voting for. And I think people are really skeptical of this idea because they think, how could you like go get in line to vote and not know who you want to vote for? The number of people who feel a civic patriotic duty to go vote and like on the day of or, you know, within the week for the first time, kind of try to figure out the contours of the election and tune in. That is not infrequent. That is a perfectly normal thing that goes on with these voters. But anyway, so there's this difference between these college educated suburban voters and then these double doubters or double haters who are like, I don't really like either party and I've got to make a decision. And they all use the same phrase. If we had a drinking game for it, we would die. They all say lesser of two evils. And this is where Hillary Clinton, when people say she was a bad candidate, they sort of took it as a fait accompli that Donald Trump was the lesser of two evils in an election with Hillary Clinton. I used to hear that all the time. We don't ask that much about 16 anymore. But when you do, people will just tell you it was about voting not for Trump, but against Hillary Clinton. And now these people, they basically have super doubts about Joe Biden, mainly because of his age, but they hate Trump. They think he's gross. They think he's mean and negative and life's too short for all his hatred. And so I have heard this enough in these groups, and it is why I tend to be less freaking out about these polls is I'm like, I don't know. I think when push comes to shove, right, you get a group of of those black voters who were down on Biden, right, down on him, didn't want to vote for him again, think he's too old. Push comes to shove, they're all voting for Biden. You get a group like this, they hate them both, they think Biden's too old, don't want to vote for him. Only one person votes for Trump. Four abstain and four vote for Biden. And to me, that's the story. I think so. I mean, that's Biden's path to victory, right? This is your the anti-Trump coalition. That's right. So let me get back to your Biden age question then. This is why I think it's good for Biden to have all of this stuff out now. If I had a nickel for every time I had been told by the anti-anti-types that nobody wants to talk about Joe Biden's age, and that's literally all we've talked about for the last year when it comes to Joe Biden. Nobody wants to talk about the CHIPS Act or all the factories being built, but we talk about Joe Biden's age. And I think that's good because it's there. We all ought to talk about it. It's a totally valid issue. But also it's good politically for Biden because he shouldn't be hiding. Again, I say, you know, hang a lantern on it. You know, am I old? Oh, I'm so old. You know, 81? I'm 91. I'm 121, right? You got to start purposely forgetting things in press conferences, you know, call reporters by the wrong names and, you know, just do a little Joe Biden wink at the camera as he does it. And I think it all ought to be the stuff of, well, that's just our crazy Uncle Joe and make people comfortable with the idea of chuckling at it. I just think that's the obvious best way to deal with it. I'm not a comms professional. You are. What would you do? I liked this triad of yours. Don't sound so surprised. No, no, no. I don't know that I agreed (laughs) with you about like the leaning in and making fake. Uh, There are some things you can do where, you know, you make jokes where you constantly call Peter Ducey puck or something. I don't know. Um, What you want is for him to be like, I know you're all talking about this, but like you need to instill confidence in people still. Like the chuckling has to sort of be married to a kind of like this guy can still do the job. And so I do think part of my comms advice, and this is without being close to it, for example, that football game, the one that we just had, the Super Bowl. The big game. The big game, right? It's so big 
that I watched it. Now, I fell asleep in overtime, but I watched it and was pretty interested in it, thought it was fun. Joe Biden had the opportunity to sit down and do an interview for that game. I don't know if you saw the numbers from that game, but it's like almost everyone in the country watched it. Between mm-hmm. the Taylor Swift and the what all the whatever, it was like 215 million people watched that game. That would have been a great opportunity at a time when people were relaxed, they're not feeling political, to be funny, show up. And I think the fact that he doesn't do that is an enormous liability for him. And you heard this in the group, right? They say the ran from his basement last time. They say that you don't see him. Like, nature abhors a vacuum. And I think that it's fine for him to do it if he can pull it off, right? Like, the execution of what you're talking about is important, and he can make jokes about it, but he also has to demonstrate that he's competent. He can't just, like, not be there, and then Trump is crazy, right? He has to affirmatively make people confident that he can do the job for another four years. Well, so I'm not pushing back. I'm, I'm just asking questions, You can push Sarah. back. No, no, because I'm not sure of this. I'm asking a legitimate question, not a snarky question. If what we're doing is building an anti-Trump coalition, then is having Biden out in front, like even if he's really good at it, all that helpful? No, I think he's got to work himself to par, right? I'm talking about, I don't think this guy has dementia. Like I'm talking about just work yourself to a place of, he seems okay. Like no one's going to forget he's old. This was the thing about the her, and we talked about this on Next Level too, but when this her report came out and like a bunch of reporters were calling to be like, is this catastrophic? And I was indisposed this week. And so I, I didn't get into it with people. But like, the answer is, everybody knows he's old. It did not yeah. take this report for voters to be like, oh, he's he's a nice guy who's pretty old. They already think that. And they think it by looking at him. The thing about hanging a lantern on it, I think is so much better than trying to hide it. Because he is old and nobody's mistaking that. Not a single voter doesn't think it. Now, there's a difference between old and dementia, right? And so he has to dispense with the dementia and be like, yeah, man, I'm old. I'm older than the phonograph. I don't know, something really old. But you know what? I'm not 91. That's how many indictments Donald Trump has. Like, he does have to be able to do some of that. And I think hiding is a mistake. Yeah, fair, fair. So we did this group right after the E. Jean Carroll verdict was handed down and Trump was ordered to pay her $83.3 million. So I want to listen to how this recent group and other out on Trump, two-time Trump voters from recent months have talked about sort of the Trump legal stuff. Because I wasn't going to vote for him anyway, probably. It's not a neutral, doesn't change me. I think Trump's guilty of a lot of things. Some he's been charged with, some (laughs) haven't been charged (laughs) And there's a lot of interesting bias coming out of DOJs and local groups and all that. But I don't put a whole lot of stock in. That's my barometer of Trump's a good guy or not. Was the $83 million awarded or not? For me, the most important one, having dealt with classified documents for the majority of my life, I would have to say that was the most severe and most concerning one of all. These documents, because of the way he retained the documents, I have a very strong feeling that he is bartering these documents with foreign powers. I think he's a sociopath, and I think the most egregious to me is the documents and the way he lied and manipulated, and it's for financial gain. 
and it's also to gain his presence on the world stage. I'll give you a little bit of something here if you give me something back. And it's pathological. I think he's a pathological liar and manipulator. That's how he got to where he is in business because a lot of business models, you step on who you got to step on to get up to the top and to preserve your standing. I mean, who does that? Call an election official and tell him to do that. And uh, sending his cronies, you know, Rudy down here to Georgia and, you know, claiming that uh, there's election fraud and people are stealing or doing something with ballots was just bogus. Totally. I did not personally like, you know, being from Georgia, his attack that he had against Georgia during the elections and especially on Governor Kemp. I mean, I honestly have a lot more respect for Governor Kemp than I do for Trump. So we've had several Georgia people in here, and Georgia's one of those states that I'm always like, oh, I think Georgia's probably not going to go Biden a second time. But I mean, the people from Georgia are super aware of oh, yeah. the investigation in Georgia. It, like, a lot of the groups, you get into the legal stuff and it's kind of white noise to them, especially in the real into Trump people because they just like don't care. So they're like, whatever, none of this matters to me. But these guys who were in Georgia were like, mad about what he did, calling up Raffensperger, telling him to find votes. So a lot of people ask me this, reporters, when they say, we see in polls that people say if Trump is convicted, that will make a difference to them and they won't vote for them. Like, And do you believe that's true? And I'm like, I don't think that the percentage who say that now will do it because the right-wing infotainment media will work on them. They'll make excuses. It'll weed out. People find a rationalization through it. But I do think people like this who are deeply frustrated with what Trump has done, like there are people who have voted for Trump in the past, and these court cases are reminding them of why Trump is unfit. Sarah, these are all people who voted for Donald Trump twice, and they called him a sociopath. Yeah. One said that he believed that Trump was holding on to classified documents in order to sell them to foreign <laughs> leaders and get money. Another person likens Trump to Charles Manson. Yeah. I don't know if you caught that. And what this woman was saying, she was saying, like, look, Trump didn't incite this or that. Well, Charles Manson didn't kill anybody himself. You know, he went to jail because he, he directed other people to do bad things. This is really remarkable. Like you, I do not believe that the outcomes of any of these criminal trials are going to move all that many votes. I think it may move some if there are outcomes. I'm not George Conway, your other friend. You'll have to have this conversation with him. But I am very doubtful that we're going to get any of these trials done yeah. before the election. And if there is one, it'll be probably the Alvin Bragg story. Daniels won in New York State. He's much more optimistic than yeah. you or I am on the timeline. And he knows more about this stuff than we do. Let's, he does. We should acknowledge that. But like... I am so skeptical, especially just watching the most recent, the immunity, which is a subset of the Jack Smith yes. investigation, right? Trump is going to throw all these things at it, and then things going to go to the Supreme Court. They got to decide where they're going to take it up. Like, they know how to gum up the works. Like, this is like Trump's, like, master class. In well, but they also know that the Supreme Court doesn't want to influence any elections. Totally. It is desperate not to influence any elections. So its incentives are aligned with Trump's on this. That's why I think it's really so key to not get caught up in the indictments and not get caught up in the guilty verdicts or not guilty verdicts, because you're unlikely to have one. 
you're just as likely to get a hung jury in Manhattan or something like that. The one he's dead to rights on, one that absolutely nobody can come up with any defense on him for, is the Jack Smith documents case in Florida. But the judge down there, Eileen Cannon, has signaled that she is absolutely not going to let this thing go that to thing trial. Is stop, yeah, that thing is stopped moving. Yeah, right? for sure. So uh, the key is to focus on the election loss and the yeah. lie for the people who don't believe the lie. Make it salient to them. And if you do that, Trump is going to help you. Because if you poke him hard enough, he's going to come out and keep talking about how, of course, he won. You don't have to poke him. That's just like what he does. And this is my theory of the case. And I think it's Biden's theory of the case. The best thing about doing multiple focus groups a week and now having done them for years is you can watch as people go from not understanding an issue, having it not seep in, to it starting to filter down. And so for a long time, the cases were white noise kind of to everybody. They couldn't tell them apart. But as they get litigated and as there's more stories about them and as Trump is in court, people like this group, which kind of are high information but hate both parties, but right? They not were Epoch pretty- Times info. That was the other thing. They were clearly getting their information from mainstream media. Well, this is what you get when you don't get hyperpartisans, right? Like they're not right. ensconced in right wing media. They're just kind of getting yeah, Facebooky, mainstream morning news, local news kind of stuff, and. That makes them ideologically not similar to one another. They still are low trust. But the one thing is that they don't like either of these guys. And as you see more of Trump, as Trump talks about the election being stolen more, as he gets more deep into the cases, right? It just reminds people of January 6th. These are the people where I think as the double haters, they ultimately land on, I hate Trump more. And that that's the key to the anti-Trump coalition is hating Trump more. Yeah. Can I bring up one other thing? Yeah. So one of the people in the group said that the physical parts of the economy and everything else aren't awful. but The mood is terrible. And this was the first time I've seen in one of your groups where somebody who is not a Biden supporter acknowledged, eh, actually, things are pretty good. And instead retreated to the people have bad vibes about it. And I think if that continues to permeate, which I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. The good things that are happening in the economy are just going to continue trickling out and we're going to get probably some rate cuts. That is also going to help loosen some of these people, I think, and make it a little easier for them to say, fine, I'll do it. I'll vote for Biden. I hate Trump anyway, or I'll just leave that blank. Man, do I agree with this. Like the economy getting better and the voters were, as we've said all along, real lagging indicator on this. But you are starting to see it, not just this one person. But now, if you talk to two-time partisan Trump voters, they're very committed to the idea that everything is a disaster. But in these other groups where people are not committed to that, there is more of a sense of like, things are still too expensive at the store, but like things are maybe getting better. And I think that if that continues, like the economy needs to be not a drag. It'd be great if it was a help, but it needs to be not a drag. And Biden needs to sort of clear the dementia bar for people. Okay, so I want to do kind of one last thing, which is I want to talk about some of the sound from these Trump voters about how they thought about his comments that he was going to be a day one dictator. Uh, Let's listen to that. Dictators on day one. They undo what the previous president has done. Biden signed documents undoing lots of Trump's policies on day one. The one thing about him is he's upfront about it. 
But uh, as far as being a capital D dictator, I can't see that happening. I just cannot. This country's not made that way. If he wanted to stop calling us Americans and call us purple people eaters, I believe he will give it his full effort to make anything he wants to do happen, whether our system of checks and balances would allow those things to happen. That's a completely other side of things. I really think he will give it his all to try. I don't think that's a different side at all because that determines whether or not he can be successful in that. So many people make claims and say what they're going to do, but the Supreme Court, the Congress, has power to stop the president when it becomes necessary. My biggest fear is that Trump, he always thinks that he knows the best about everything, and he doesn't listen to anyone that there's no one to rein him back. Just like, you know, during COVID where he said, well, have you guys thought about trying bleach or, you know, it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. The fact that he's surrounded by yes people that don't hold him back. And I don't know where that could take us. It's very scary for me. So I get asked a lot, are people afraid of Trump being an authoritarian? And this was a really good group Nobody says authoritarian, right? And we even gave them the word dictator. No one talks about him being authoritarian. But they don't like the sort of basic human, it's got to be his way, and will Congress curb him and his behavior? So like listening to them, because people are trying to kind of push him, and we've put out ads about it, this idea of like Trump is is kind of a wannabe dictator. Do you think that lands with these voters who are kind of the double haters, double doubters? It didn't land with these guys. These guys all thought that uh, the guardrails, the guardrails old, right? This is, the, you know, the American system, it can't happen here. That was ultimately their view of it. And what's funny to me is that there is a subset of double Trump voters who still support him, who in the focus groups think that absolutely dictatorships can happen here. And we're living under one right now. That's right. Joe Biden's the dictator. Joe Biden is the dictator. Look at this. He stole the election. We are living under an illegitimate, you know, this guy can do anything he wants. Well, then why hasn't still team six killed Trump? Don't, you know, we'll forget about that. Right. Don't, don't ask them that. So these guys were, I think, pretty grounded. It was a pretty good group, but even so, this is why I just keep coming back to the stolen election stuff and that they seemed so offended by the lie that that struck me as the, the place to plow. Because the dictator stuff, they just didn't believe that it could happen in America. They believed that abortion could go away. They didn't talk specifically about this, about there being a six-week federal abortion ban. But I was picking up from the group that they could certainly envision a world in which Republicans were able to more or less outlaw abortion. They saw that. That was real to them. The idea of Trump being a dictator for a day or, or longer than a day just wasn't something that they could see as as real and salient. I think that's right. Yeah, there was sort of like every president's a dictator. You know, they come in yeah. and they undo what the other guy did. That's and what so, executive orders are. Right. That's right. And it's a good reminder, I think, for people in this kind of democracy space of how average people are not thinking about this. And some of it is comes from a good place in that I'm glad that people have a lot of confidence in American democracy, right? That they don't think it could happen here on one hand. On the other hand, I do think that a lot of the Republican legislators who participate in the lie also think that 
American democracy so durable that it can't be undone by their uh, lying. So they're happy to do it. And I think that is extremely wrong. And of course, I think we have good guardrails, but we are not immune uh, from these things. Uh, But you are not going to convince these guys not to vote for Donald Trump by calling him a dictator. The most worrisome thing in all of this is that there is some percentage of Republican voters who want the dictator stuff. You know, right. maybe it's only 20 percent, maybe it's 60 percent. But there is some percentage of them which look at this and say they believe that we are already living under a dictatorship. But the only problem is that it's the wrong guy at the head of it. And that's the thing which gets to the dangerous long term thing for the American system, because I don't know how you make all this work when some large slice of the pie is not interested in the, hey, we all have elections and sometimes my team wins and sometimes my team loses. Yeah. And actually, just to underscore this, I just from a group of flippers, so Trump to Biden voters, we asked about the dictator thing. And I just want to play a couple of clips from that. Who's heard that Trump said that he would not be a dictator except on day one? I actually didn't hear that, but it sounds like something he would say. Yeah. I'm sure he's saying this to undo all of what he's got to fix when he's getting office. That would be my guess as to why he's saying it. I don't think he'll put military in the streets. I don't think we've ever seen military in the streets. I wouldn't take it too literal, what he said. So that last guy was the only person in this particular Trump to Biden group we were doing who said he'd actually vote for Trump again. Because we do get sort of like one or two people in these Trump to Biden groups who are backsliding and say they'd go back to Trump. Um, But we also asked this group whether things like putting the military in the streets or jailing political enemies or replacing civil servants with loyalists sounded like what a dictator would do. And like a majority of the group said yes, but it's also clear that most people don't take him nearly as seriously as we would like. You hear the guy kind of laugh. It sounds like something he would say. There is still just so much of the take him seriously, but not literally out there in voters that persists. It's, as you say, this failure of imagination is in some ways a sign of health, right? A healthy democracy is democracy in which it's kind of unthinkable that it could devolve into autocracy. When you live in a democracy where like, hey, you know, we'll see how this election goes. That's not a stable democracy. Those are typically what we classify as young democracies. And we haven't been in this place in America since the Civil War. We haven't been in a place where, oh, well, I don't know. We'll see how the next election goes. And then maybe we'll get free and fair elections after that, or maybe we won't. On the one hand, I'm grateful for the failure of imagination because I think it's an important marker of health. On another hand, forewarned is forearmed. And I'm glad that we have our friends in the democracy space doing spade work right now and preparing the lines of defense in case they're needed. Well, it wouldn't be a focus group podcast without an inherent contradiction being presented by the voters. That's just what happens when you dig into this. JBL, my friend, thank you so much for doing this. And thanks to all of you for listening to another episode of the focus group podcast. We will be back next week. Go rate, subscribe, do all the things, and we'll catch you guys later.